Let's get sweaty. Hello and welcome to Thy Shemu Dojo Show. Today we are recapping episode 4 of the Shemu anime called Shackles. I'm James Brown and as always I'm joined by Matthew Oliver. Oui. How's it going, man? <laughs> <laughs> Dramatic pause there. Good man, good man. How are you? Dude, I am doing really good, thanks. We've launched, if anyone doesn't know this, we've launched Shemu World Issue 2, the Kickstarter it's live right now. At the time of recording, we've still got 29 days to go. We opened it, or launched it rather, about six hours ago. <sighs> Jesus, man, we're already like over 70% funded. <laughs> so we've got a goal of 15,000, which pretty much covers the costs to make 500 of everything. And that includes postage as well, because Kickstarter takes into account the shipping costs. And crazily, we're already at £11,428 I'm looking at right now which is madness. So if anyone's listening out there that's backed the project or is planning to, just thank you so much for all your support. At the end of the show, we've got a new section. I'm going to include a bit more information on there if you're interested in picking up the magazine or what the magazine actually entails. I'm not going to do that now, otherwise it would take probably another 20 minutes of the show and we want to jump straight in. So I'm going to move briskly on now and completing the trifecta of... <laughs> Of hosts here is Titch, the Stream Deck Ambassador Life. Hey. Hey. <laughs> Hello. That's because we've been on about that a lot recently. And that's yeah, we have. Yeah, yeah. Very useful tool. I am no way affiliated with Elgato for that matter. <laughs> Not an ad. <laughs> <laughs> you should be, yeah. So how are you doing, Titch? We did a stream with you earlier. This is what day are we recording? This is Sunday. So you won't hear this till yeah. Friday, but Sunday just gone. We did a special effect donation stream for charity called Gamer Blast 2022. We did a nice three-way stream, me, Matt, and Titch, and we raised over... What was the total in the end, Matt? Let's have a look. So we had a £200 goal, and as of recording this right now, we're at £269.25. Amazing. Which is actually more than last year. That's insane. And Titch is going to be streaming a second charity stream for us this coming Thursday, so... Ooh... <sighs> No pressure. What, I think it's been and gone, but yeah, that's happening. I think we men- mentioned it last week, actually, so that's not like we have we haven't told you. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, I'm really impressed with how we got on there. We uh, smashed it, really. Yeah, we did really well. Really pleased, really pleased with that. Good job, guys. Let's just jump straight into the episode then, eh? Instead of waffling on at the start here. So full spoilers ahead, of course, and Matt, do you stuff? Let's have a short recap of the events so far. Oh, Blooming <laughs> <laughs> I forgot I was. Did you forget you were, you were meant to be doing that? I did forget I was going to be doing this. So this is going to make things challenging. Shit. Bugger. I don't think you could do it, do you, Titch? Oh, God, no. My memory's even worse than Matt's. Because <laughs> <laughs> if I was to condense it, I'd probably say, like, you know, Rio's father's died. He's had a letter. He's got it translated. He's now in the harbour. He spoke to Master Chen and stuff. He went home, found the mirror. And then he's trying to get a boat ticket or whatever. Right, balls it, I'll do it. Right, so episode three opens up with a quick short 
scene of Shenhua walking towards Bailu village reciting the prophecy, friend zoning Ming Yang Li, as per the usual, and she's questioning the prophecy for the first time, sort of wondering who he is and where, where it all fits together. And she gets invited to this festival at another village. Um, she doesn't seem too keen on the idea. She's more sort of focused on the prophecy and what it, what it means. And um, it's the first time we've sort of seen her questioning this and how it all fits together. So it's linking things with Rio and her. And they've both got questions around. He, uh, she's got questions around the prophecy. He has questions around his father and his past, etc. So it's slowly putting those links in together, if you like. So after that, it moves in very, very quickly to a scene over at MJQ Jazz Bar by the looks of it and you see Terry for the first time and he's a little bit keen on who took out Charlie essentially and then it cuts to another scene very quickly with Rio walking down to Buita Street and a flashback to Yagameshi-san who tells him to go to the antique shop to get the letter translated that came just after a while died. Uh, he goes over there and he sees Gowan who lets him into the antique shop and Rio gets the letter translated uh, by the lady there, and it's reverse kanji, so she uses the mirror to do it. And you get the the famous scene very shortly after that, where Rio goes to the back of shops, type in the number, and give the password to go and meet Master Chen. Now, in the Japanese dub, there's a slight mistranslation issue here that um, it was called Father Sky rather than Father's Heaven, and Common Allies rather than Comrades. So, so but in the English dub, this was okay. Anyway. Sort of swiftly moving on, it ends up at the harbour where Rio bumps into Goro and beats him up because he's trying to take money off of somebody. And Goro sort of runs off, sort of scolded and broken. We then go over to Rio attempting to sneak into warehouse number eight. And this is sort of condensed down very, very quickly. He then gets captured and you end up at the warehouse number eight scene where Master Chen meets Rio and they also, and Guizan's also there with him. Rio resolves to find the phoenix mirror which he then goes ahead and does with it notwithstanding the fact he has to go and get the sword handguard from the antique shop as well it then cuts to a very quick scene with master chen and rio once more at the warehouse number eight this time in possession of the phoenix mirror however chai the sneaky bastard gets in through the window and tries to nick it they then fight off chai using the button that moves the i can't remember what they're called on the top of the roof sort of machinery on the roof we'll call it crane thing uh, yeah crane thing it drops the mirror rio grabs it back and they have another conversation um where it's intimated that landy is about to leave for hong kong and you see a scene with landy on the boat leaving for hong kong and then rio resolves himself to the fact he's not going to get help from the chens so has to get himself to hong kong himself wow well done there Matt. from memory i think you condensed the whole episode down there really well actually nicely nicely done thank you <laughs> so we're going to jump straight into episode four i've got the synopsis here this is just what it says it starts off with this line so to chase landy rio decides to go to hong kong but realizes he does not have enough money to go with goro's assistance rio gets a part-time job which he soon learns is in mad angels territory to seek information on landy rio approaches mad angels so matt we've literally just watched the episode Titch, I'll start with you first. I don't know why I said Matt, but can you give me your initial thoughts on the episode as a whole? What did you enjoy? What did you perhaps dislike, if anything? Oof, I don't think I've got anything to offer in terms of dislike. I really enjoyed this episode and I enjoyed learning a bit more about Goro more than anyone. 
because you don't get much out of him in the games, but there was a lot about him in this episode. So, yeah, that's my uh, favourite bit. We got quiet. We're going to get into it. I, I, perhaps we shouldn't talk about this now, but we got. I did get a whole subsection, subplot rather, of Goro, which, yeah, like I say, we'll, we'll speak a little bit more of later. But, Matt, what did you think of this episode? I thoroughly enjoyed it, actually. I thought... I was trying to figure out in my head as whether it's my favourite episode or not. I don't think it is, but when I'm saying that, it's, it, it's shaded by a smidgen. It really is, you know, narrow. And again, I think I said this every week we've been on. Um, I'm just impressed by the consistency of the bar of the story here and how well the anime is doing. I absolutely love this episode. We got some backstory on Goro. We got some lovely little Easter eggs. Yeah, man. It, honestly, I, I am thoroughly impressed with what we're getting thus far. Yeah, I agree. You can't. It's hard to put. I don't think I can rank them just yet because I know you guys sort of did last week, like three, two, one, and two, three, one episode wise. But I, I really struggle to think actually now which is my favorite because they're all at a very consistent high standard in my opinion, and the way that the the fleshing out the story. The way they're telling the narrative and stuff that the skipping's not too bad. You know, I'm not really, I don't ever go into a new episode thinking, oh, I'm disappointed that they've missed this bit. I mean, there might be a couple of things I would have liked to have seen, like the homeless man or maybe some more stuff around the mirrors. Um, but other than that, I think they're doing a very good job actually of telling the story in these 23 minute short episodes. And I think after episode five, I don't know why I'm skipping so far ahead, but we're going to have like two hours of footage at that point. And I think from what they've done within these minutes, these hours, I think they've done a really good job. So I, I really do struggle to put them in an order, but maybe episode four is possibly my favorite, the one we've just seen. So we're going to get into that right now. Anyway, we're going to break it down. We'll go through each scene, see if we can uh, give some more thoughts, maybe some discussions on the scenes as a whole. So I'll start with the opening scene, which kicked off with what appeared to be a rather interesting dream sequence, which is very reminiscent to the bad ending of Shemu 2, right, Matt? Yeah, like, I was very surprised by this, actually. I know there's lots of dream sequences in the games, so it makes sense for them to take that sort of inspiration, but I was surprised that they went down the, the route of the Shemu 2 bad ending. It's got some sort of little tweaks to it, but mm. it is essentially the bad ending from Shenmue 2, sort of foreseeing the future if you don't finish the games quick enough. Yeah, I like that they've added stuff like that because it kind of like, it just adds to what could be, you know, in a sense of the future. We know that this bad ending only happens if you like hang around till April or something daft in game. So you don't typically get to see this ending. You may have seen it on YouTube. But the fact that they're showing this is a nice little addition to the series because we're seeing stuff that could happen or leaves the viewer thinking like, is this going to happen? You know, it's got that typical flashback sort of fuzziness around the edge of the screen there. So it's hard to determine whether it's a dream, it's something that's happening, something that could happen, you know, is it foretelling something? So what happens is it starts with a hazy dark scene. We see Shemfar stood with her eyes closed and her hands together. She's surrounded by this white glowing light. And then as she opens her eyes, it's cuts to Landis stood holding the dragon mirror behind his back which was interesting because we were saying we thought it was the Phoenix mirror in the bad ending because obviously he's got the mirror. He's going to do bad things <laughs> at that <laughs> point because he's got both mirrors. I'd have to rewatch the bad ending actually just to double check that. 
but you can probably be showing a little bit of footage of the bad ending as I'm saying this, Matt, when you get to the video section. You can, and you are correct. Okay. So Shenfor turns around in horror at the realisation that Landy's watching him. So whether or not this is, I don't know, if she's seen Landy for the very first time or she knows who he is or she can tell that he's a bad guy. Because, you know, if you saw a stranger on the road, you might go, oh, hey, you're right, what are you doing? <laughs> but here she's like proper scared, so I don't know. And it is a dream, I guess, so. It quickly zooms into a face and then cuts to Rio in bed, shooting upright, waking up from a dream. So it was his dream. So it's nothing to do with Chenfoy. He's just dreaming of this happening. So again, if you think about it like that, it's Rio's dream. He's dreaming about Chenfoy. Is this the first time he's dreamt about Chenfoy? Yes, it is. I know in the Because the other Chenfoy scenes are just from her perspective, right? They are. So they are in real time, in inverted commas, whereas whereas here, this is the first time he's actually had a dream about her or with her in it. I mean, in the games, I think he has two in, in Shenmue 1 where you come across her. Um, so it's a nice change and play on that. But it's starting to build those links, I think, ready for the China element, the Hong Kong element, and eventually when they, in theory, meet each other. Hmm. Very cool. I'd, it's just, It's one of those that I just... Impressed that they're covering that kind of um, side of the game series. I wasn't expecting to see that anyway, especially at the start of the episode. But then we get the title sequence, and then Matt, it jumps straight into the scene of Global Travel Agency, if you want to take over. It does, and this is a slight change to the games. As we know in the games, you go to Global Travel Agency, you get you get your leaf flip, it's too much money. Eventually, you end up at Asia Travel Company, you get swindled, chase Jimmy, and the rest is history. Um, they've changed this up here, which is fine, I think, for for the anime. I think the whole Jimmy thing just sort of elongated the story, which you can do in a game, whereas the anime is being a lot more economical with the story and moving things on at a quicker pace because at the end of the day, it has to. So it cuts to the scene, and Rio is looking at a guidebook and brochure, and there's real intent in the way he's looking. And he gets approached by the travel agent in the shop, and actually she speaks to him in Chinese if and asks if he's looking for flights to Hong Kong. Interestingly, he understands her. It was weird, wasn't it? It's it's like he replied to her, even though she spoke Chinese. Like, what did she say? She said, "Do you you want to go to Hong Kong?" And then he replied and said, "Yes" or something like that. Yeah, that's right. So we understood her. Yeah, pretty. It's pretty much what she said, and he understood it. Now, his father might have taught him some basic Chinese. I mean, that's not beyond the realms of possibility, but. I'd have to listen back because in Japanese, China is Chugoku. So whether mm-hmm. or not she said that, because that's still what they use in China, I don't know, maybe, and he just understood that. Actually, Hong Kong wouldn't be that, though. No, Hong Kong is Hong Kong. Yeah, and, and bearing in mind at the time that this is set in the 1980s when Hong Kong was still a British territory. So hmm. I don't know. I found it interesting that he could understand her. Obviously, he replies in Japanese and he gets his response and she, um, she realised that he's a tourist and not a resident of Hong Kong, etc. Why do I feel it's, like Swan mentioned something about happening either last week or the week before where he understood Chinese as well? Possibly. I, I'd have to I'd have to rewatch it, the, the episode again, and, actually, and not try and do it from memory. But maybe they're setting something up there that he knows Chinese, but he just didn't understand the letter because it was reversed. Yeah, so yeah. That's... that's how he can communicate when he gets to Hong Kong and China. Maybe that's why. And they've just took that liberty that, now they're setting the precedence that he understands Chinese somehow. Well, yeah, I mean, take it this way. It's no different to um, the games and you're in China and everybody's speaking Japanese at you. Yeah. So it's a liberty that I think the games took. It's a liberty the anime is taking. Can you see them 
just constantly from whenever we get to Hong Kong, just everyone's talking Chinese all of a sudden, do you think? Uh, Do you know, it wouldn't surprise me and they subtitled it, you know, just for that sort of authenticity point of view. And then how much Rio understands is, is, is sort of left to the imagination. So it's a good point. It's a good point to make. And I'd be interested to see, and we're, we're getting closer to that sort of arc now, but I'd be interested to see how that sort of plays out. So, so moving back into the scene, she hands him a flyer of the best prices they have for Hong Kong travel, which is 150,000 yen, which is actually, I think, cheaper than the game one where you get it from Asia Travel, which is 159,000 yen, which I found interesting. But it doesn't matter because Rio hasn't got the money anyway. <laughs> <laughs> which moves us into the next scene, Titch, if you want to take over. Sure. So Ine San is sat at the Katatsu table in the living room and it looks like she's managing finances because she's got a little calculator out. And she sighs and walks off when it's done. And at that moment, it cuts to the door and it's slightly ajar. And it shows Rio has been watching her, um, watching creeping. over in, in the <laughs> corridor. <laughs> yeah, creeping. And he's looking quite pensive. So Fuxon leaves his own bedroom and he notices Rio and sort of asks, you know, are you okay? What's up? It then cuts to Fuxon and Rio sat on the floor in Fuxon's room. And they're discussing the extortionate price of travelling to Hong Kong. And then Fuxan has an idea. So he swivels around and he grabs this little piggy bank off his desk and he hands it to Rio. And he asks Rio to consider it as a going away present. And Rio just accepts it with no hesitation <laughs> straight away. And so then Rio's back in his bedroom and he's looking over a bank statement, which is quite reminiscent of the game. And he's also got the contents of the piggy bank just strewn out across his desk. And okay. it's interesting that they showed that because it was a great opportunity for a little Easter egg. So it showed a couple of cassette tapes in the background, which were direct references to tapes that you can get in Shenmue 1. And the two songs I noticed were Flower Girl and Go Go. I love that. I love that yeah. attention to well, yeah, it's... Easter egg detail. That's one for you, Matt, that, isn't it? The Easter eggs yeah, video. that'll be going in the Easter eggs video, that's for sure. That's really cool. Those And sort of to add... To an Easter egg that Titch was talking about. If you look at Fukusan's room, when he goes to pick up the um, piggy bank, there's the posters on the back wall, and they've got like the punch and guard um, symbols from Virtua Fighter and some Japanese um, writing, and that's the exact same posters that are in the games there as well. Great touch. Yeah. That's amazing. I just think it's the attention to detail in this. In this is 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 insane. Utterly ridiculous. They, they, I think they have said they've got like Shenmue fans on, on the staff, and they've obviously got all the source material. But that doesn't mean they have to go to that effort. But they have, and that's mm-hmm. what I think is really heartwarming with this anime. Um, that they have actually thought of the the older fan base who will pick this sort of stuff up. But as a newbie, it's not going to make any difference. It's not going to change your viewing experience. But for us, it's absolutely fantastic. Do they have the Virtua Fighter posters up or not? I didn't see them. They're on the left-hand wall in the in the in the in the game, so you wouldn't have seen them. Yeah, yeah. I think those posters behind Fuxan's desk are like move move sets, possibly, or like a move. Maybe he's got like yeah, a keyer on the it. wall. I, 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 we'd have to get switch on the translation of what the, the kanji symbols mean or whatever. But it probably says something like a keyer, thunder kick, or something, and it's like punch and grab is the move. Just I don't know. There's a bit of a cheat code for him or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. Cool. Hello. Should I crack on? Yeah, crack on. So is looking at this money and he sighs at the realisation that he still doesn't have enough for the travel fare to Hong Kong, even after 
checking out his uh, bank account, which I assume is inheritance from Iwell, possibly, why he's got quite a big chunk of savings, because it leads to him being a bit of a broke student in the game. Yeah, unless the university fees, well, the money that he'd be using for that. Of (laughs) course. He's he's already decided he's not going to uni now, I don't know. (laughs) Good point. Yeah, so we cut to a scene where he's then stepping off the bus and he's greeted by Goro racing towards him. So we know Goro from, obviously, the last episode he was introduced with his characteristic Yo Bro, of course. So they've copied Mm -hmm. that over from the game. And Ryo seriously then questions Goro why he calls him bro. And he responds by saying that it is his way of showing respect as it's not every day he rubs shoulders with a big shot, apparently. So Ryo questions this and Goro responds by saying that anyone who works for the Zhu Feng company is a big shot in my book. So that's interesting. So obviously we get this, I think we get this flashback scene where Goro was the guy that, you know, we were questioning last week whether it was one of Charlie's goons or one of the Mad Angels or Terry's goons or something, or Goro. And it did turn out that those legs and that purple shirt was Goro. And he was watching Ryo enter the warehouse number eight or whatever they're calling it, Zhufeng Company or whatever in this anime episode, which is why he thinks he's a big shot. He thinks he's like one of the Chens possibly. So Goro offers Ryo anything that he needs in return, and Ryo instantly takes up the offer as he needs some quick cash. So Goro takes this too literally and rolls his sleeves up, ready to mug someone, which I thought was quite funny. He's going to go off and you know mug some money out of people, and Ryo's obviously going to be fine with that. But Ryo stops him and says he'd rather him help in finding a job instead. So Goro claims to know everyone who's anybody at the harbour, and so gladly accepts Rio's request for help. So this then cuts to a scene which is called Port Mess Hall for some reason, but it's actually what appears to be the harbour cafeteria. And Goro is still with Rio. They're now at the harbour cafeteria talking to Mai, and she's working behind the till serving lunch boxes, probably hoka hoka lunches possibly, or whatever the cafeteria serves, I don't know. Nice to see Mai again, by the way. But they're asking Mai if she knows of any part-time jobs at the harbour for some quick cash and it's cool actually it is my that actually in the game sets Rio up with the job at the alpha trading office right that is right yeah, yeah it she, is, yeah. she yeah, sets yeah, yeah. him up and calls goro a geek and everything else in between yeah that's it yeah so they've <laughs> they've changed the scene slightly but you know she's still doing the same same role and rio asks if my's friends with this guy meaning goro she replies saying more or less and obviously we know from the games they're eventually going to get married so more than friends possibly and eventually the penny drops and Goro realises that Ryo actually knows Mai. So Goro claims that he straightened Mai out, to which she responds by clobbering him over the head with a clipboard, <laughs> which is quite another funny scene, and claims that he's done diddly squat. Was that, was, was that actually in the anime, diddly squat? Was that you, Yeah, yeah you know that what? was an exact translation. <laughs> yeah, it sounds yeah. like something you'd say. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a slight change on the um, English dub. She hmm. turns around and goes, you ain't done jack shit. In, in the English <laughs> it's quite funny <laughs> eventually Mai remembers a place called the Alpha Trading Office or Trading Company sorry and that they are looking for help so if you want to take it over from here Matt absolutely so we cut into the Alpha Trading Office and the first little scene you get there is I'm not quite sure it was like a kettle or, or whatever it is in the middle of the room um, but it's boiling water. And if you remember the scene from the games, that's one of the first things you see where Rio walks into the Alpha Trading office. So that's a nice li- little Easter egg. I feel like 
Switch has got a post on that, you know. Like it's got a specific name and a specific yeah, use. It does, and I and I can't for the life of me remember what it was. I'll probably try and link that. If I remember, I'll link that, that post at the I'll in the show notes. Yeah. Do a bit of research and get it get it in the show notes, and I might might see if I can lift it from from Phantom Riverstone onto the video. But anyway, he goes and speaks to Yadasan, who's the Alpha Trading Company manager, and he says that he knows Rio's story and asks if he can start the job straight away, which Rio accepts and thanks him for the opportunity. Now, before I move into the next scene, in this scene on the left hand side wall, you see the health and safety poster. With the, the cartoon oh, guy, cartoon guy, yeah, and with the with the yellow um, hard hat on, which mm. is exactly the same as the games. Again, I mean, these Easter eggs are across the the whole four episodes have been top notch so far. And again, it's just knocking it out of the park. I didn't even notice that one. That's a cool no. catch. <laughs> so we then cut to them heading down a large outdoor staircase. So they've moved the office, which is fine. You know, it doesn't really matter. And he t- uh, Yadison tells Rhea that he needs to learn the ropes. And Mark is passing by on a forklift and Yadasan gets Mark's attention and asks him to teach Rio. And he says, yeah, OK. Rio politely tells Mark that it's nice to meet him. But Mark is very cold here, sort of narrows his eyes and tells Rio to follow him. It's almost like direct contrast to the games where Mark is really friendly, quite bubbly, quite a nice man. Here, he's very wary of Rio, very cold towards Rio. Um, doesn't really want to help him, but he's sort of doing it because his boss told him to. So it's a complete contrast to where we were in the games. Yeah, we did say it seems like he probably has something on his mind because we know in the games his brother's dead or whatever at the bottom of the ocean and concrete yeah. boots, <laughs> whatever. But I don't know why I laughed then, sorry. Sorry, Mark's brother. But in this, he's, he's starting out suspicious of Rio, maybe Rio's intentions or you know he's got something on his mind. He's got that very stern look. Um, like you say, he's very cold towards Rio, at least from the start, until we, we get into the next scenes. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll carry on with them because, it's, again, it's quite a short scene here. So we, we cut into a warehouse full of crates and you've got like a few little snippets of the forklift. So you've got the forklift being driven, the forklift arms being moved up and down. It's basically sort of Rio's very quick introduction to how to use a forklift. Mark then leaves very abruptly, basically telling Rio to figure it out for himself. Again, much colder. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rio then sort of stands there and looks pretty lost by the situation and then gets to work moving some crates around. And he proudly states to himself that he's getting the hang of it. A colleague calls over saying, are you a young boy from Alpha Trading? Can you bring that over here? And Rio accidentally shoots the forklift into reverse, nearly hitting the wall. <laughs> and he, he looks quite pained and panicked by it. And he almost breaks the, the, the cargo. And the guy has a bit of a go at him. And Rio you know, holds his hands off and apologises. But it's quite, again, it's, it's quite funny to see Rio cocking things up like that, considering he's supposed to be a certified forklift genius, according to everybody who's played the games on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> or hasn't played the games, perhaps. Well, or hasn't played the games. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, it, again, it's 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 just it sets the scene, doesn't it? And more of it's it's more around Mark that interested me here. Yeah. I think they're setting things up with Mark. Mm, they are, they are. They're very much setting things up with Mark and and how that story's gonna progress because obviously we we know the story about mark's brother but at this point rio doesn't and mark doesn't know rio's story either so they're sort of just building those seeds slowly to then obviously push that forward mm-hmm. so we're outside of alpha trading offices again and mark and rio are done for the day and mark's heading up the stairs into the office and rio is sort of behind and he shouts up to mark and says you know thanks for helping me today 
But Mark, again, acts a bit cold towards Riera and he keeps his re- response really short. And he just carries on walking, doesn't really, you know, give in to Rio or anything like that. And then we see Goro running up to Rio with another yo bro, <laughs> asking over Rio's first day on the forklift. And Mark sort of stops at the top of the stairs because he's like, ooh, conversation. And he starts listening in. Ooh, so, gossip. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> so Goro makes a comment about Rio bringing in a big wad of cash, that he should bring it in sooner so they can have a big party. And for some reason, this annoys Mark because he's, he's at the top of the stairs and he's like, mm, grumbling under mm. his breath. So he's like, like... He's only working for... I don't know, fun and drugs, yeah. maybe. I don't know. You might be thinking they're leading to that. I don't know. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, that's that's a good point. So then Goro offers to show Rio around the harbour as he needs to tread lightly whilst being in Mad Angel's territory. So they set off on the little tour and we see shots of the pair walking around. And then, true to form, Goro enlightens Rio with the fact that he knows the best spot to take a leak, <laughs> which is a reference to the game, as we know. Yeah. And that very spot is a lovely view, has a lovely view across the water. We've got kind of like a montage of screenshots here, aren't we? You know, rather than they weren't particularly animated, it was like it was like a montage of about six still images. Yeah. yeah which right. it kind of it it was quite effective, I thought. Especially that view at the, the last one. Oh, that view's great. Such a nice view of, of the, the docks and the harbour and sort of the horizon uh, under under sunset as well, which mm. I don't know, just makes it all that more atmospheric and very. It's very Shenmue actually. That, yeah, it that takes scene. you to the game, doesn't it? That like you can yeah. picture that that moment. And despite the lovely view, Rio notices some writing on the floor written in chalk, and it depicts the number ten. So Goro tells Rio that the writing is a message from the guys at the harbour depicting a vacant warehouse where they can hang out. And of course, Rio implies that aspect of harbour life is not really his scene. And then they carry on with the tour. So we're going to find out a little later what this is uh, going on about here, showing this number 10. This is something they've added into the anime because this obviously wasn't in the games where I don't know who's doing it, but like people that work at the harbour, perhaps the the writing this number in this particular one spot is like a kind of a secret message. But at the time, I mean, I wondered where they were taking that, whether mm. we were going to see a party perhaps, or, you know, Rio's going to get introduced to other people that work at the harbour perhaps. I don't, I don't know, but obviously we do get a meaning to that a little bit later. But it cuts back to warehouse number eight, and it's now night time. The moon's shining bright, and we see Guizang stood by the window with his eyes closed, thinking about the comments that Rio made about being his father's son. Is that a flashback as well? We get a little flashback there, maybe? That yeah, we do, flashback. Yeah. That yeah. was the flashback, okay. And Master Chen's coming down the stairs. He notices Guizang's deep in thought. Master Chen asks him what is wrong. So Guizang then asks Master Chen if he should still be twit-tailing Rio, since he's meant to be his bodyguard. Master Chen says that it was just a cover, so that Guizang could keep tabs on him. But now that Rio has the Phoenix Mirror, the Chens cannot afford to get involved any further as it will escalate tensions. Interestingly, while departing, Master Chen adds that it would be a shame to fail Yuanda Zhu. So we get a little bit more context there. Obviously, in the games, we know that Guizang's, apart from that scene, he's not really a bodyguard anyway, as he's, he's, he's going about his business, but he's still on like. Not friends, again, I don't know what kind of terms he's on with Rio, but Master Chen and Guizang are always involved, aren't they? You can ring them up, 
you can like we've said before you can go get your move scroll translated you can go get the mysterious scroll translated there's a few things that they're willing and happy to help with in fact you might even have another uh, another scene with master chen a little bit later where he's been quite friendly so here is interesting that they've decided to take it down a route where master chen doesn't want any more to do with the situation but he does think it's a shame to fill Yuanda Zhu, which he's, he's just said there. So he knows him quite well. Obviously, that's the guy that he's, he's introduced. He's Ryu at the end of the game with the introduction letter. No, it isn't. That's Tao Shan. How does he know Zhu and are then? Trade, he's a trader with him, isn't he? They've been friends for years. That's about as far as it goes. Yeah, that was... I can't remember if it was last episode or a couple of episodes ago. It was just briefly mentioned in passing um, that Master Chen... Is friends with Yonder Zoo, like Yonder Zoo's an old friend that he knows from Hong Kong. Right, that makes so, sense then. Yeah, because I think uh, Rio shows him the letter, shows Master Chen the letter, and he's like, oh, Yonder Zoo, yeah, it's an old friend of mine. So, okay, so Master Chen, he does know who Yonder Zoo is, he's friends with him. Yeah. Yeah, so that whole scene's a little different, but, you know, follows the game a little bit, maybe. It does, and it, it doesn't. I mean, I. The one question I had is obviously my, with Master Chen is is why is he making the active decision to not help Rio, considering he had his word to Yuanda Zhu. Yeah, um, I know it's escalating tensions, etc., and he doesn't want that, and that's the the obvious reason. But I just wondered if there was another motive to it. I'm probably just reading between the lines and making something completely up on the spot. But considering he's supposed to be his friend, and he he and Yuanda Zhu has basically said in his letter, if you need help, seek the aid of Master Chen. But then yeah. Master Chen to go, no, wash me hands of it. Thank you very much. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's it's one of those scenes where it could have happened in the game, but obviously, again, we only see the game from Rio's perspective. So we just assume that Master Chen and Guizang are still on Rio's side. They're still trying to help. They're still there for assistance from what Yuanda Zhu wants. But this is what, what the anime does so well, is it gives you those tidbits that the game doesn't have the time to. Because if the game did all of this stuff on top of everything else, you've probably got a 100-hour game. It gets, yeah. you know, it gets crazy, doesn't it? Especially it, if they go deep with yeah. some of the stuff they, they, they mentioned in the anime. Yeah, exactly. So you, you could be there for a long, long time. So I, again, I think for old fans like us who've been around a long time and have watched the, you know, watched the anime for the first time, played the games countless times, it's engaging for us old fans to be talking about this sort of stuff because we've yeah we're talking about new stuff about a 20 year old franchise for god's sake and you'd have thought over 20 years we'd have exhausted everything and just as we have they've released this anime and we're talking about new things again it's a fantastic time to be a shenmue fan for sure makes me wonder what they're gonna add to shenmue 2 as well well yeah because <laughs> there's already a ton and ton of stuff in shenmue 2 so if they start adding more stuff as well uh i don't know how they're gonna squeeze it in the episodes but i'm really intrigued at the same time I, I... I have no idea, but I tell you what, I'm looking forward to it. Mm. Um, so we go back to the harbour the next morning, and Rio is back in his forklift, and he's a bit downbeat, and he just accidentally, although quite lightly, driven the forklift into some cargo. It sort of tings off of the, it tings the forks of the forklift onto on some. It looks like shelf racking. It's kind and of what I do, you have, do in the game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, in the games. You, you pretty much always drive into something or the invisible man pops up out of nowhere and just stops you dead. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> um, Mark is at the door of the warehouse looking in at Rio and he sort of sees that he's a bit stressed and I know he doesn't seem too fast. Mark's just like, Meh, whatever, and walks off. Not a lot really here. It's just a bit more, bit more forklifting, which we, we're all appreciating. And then cuts 
to the Hazuki residence. I presume this is around the same time as Ryo's driving into cargo. Nozomi stood at the main entrance of the Hazuki residence. She talked to Fukuzan, and he's telling about Ryo having a new job, and that the reasons to why he's not at home. He offers to pass a message over, uh, but Nozomi politely declines and says she'll stop again. Outside of the residence, uh, she wonders what the link is between Rio skipping school and, and now having a job. She, she's quite worried about this in the games. I know she mentions that he's skipping you know, university orientation, etc. But again, this is sort of adding more story around Nozomi and Rio's relationship. And how, I, I think it's very different, actually, here to the games. He's very cold to her in the games. He's very standoffish, stoic. Nozomi's very gentle, very caring. Here, I think she's a bit more forward, but obviously caring. And as we're going to see later on, I think Rio cares for her a lot more. And I really like how they've played that relationship out more than the games do. I think because Rio comes across as a bit of a bit of a dick towards her at parts <laughs> in in the, in the games because and he's focused on revenge, etc. And I, fine, but here, despite that, despite that, he's still nice to her, even if he's distracted he's still nice to her so it's a nice change yeah and while this scene it seems like it happens in the daytime right just yeah setting yeah, up yeah. the scene for later when we get to that so we're outside of trading offices again and it's the end of another work day for rio and he is wishing mark a good evening despite him being quite cold towards rio whilst he's climbing up the stairs and mark actually waves goodbye to rio which is uh, <laughs> quite surprising considering um you know how he's been so far and it's a bit reminiscent of the uh, previous scene at the end of the workday because Goro's running up to Rio again <laughs> after he said bye to Mark. And this time he's brought Rio a coffee. And Rio's sort of suspicious about this. So he starts questioning Goro as to why he's being so helpful. And then Goro, re- Goro reveals that his father once left the house when he was little and never came back, which is quite interesting. So we're getting a bit of sort of backstory and lore into Goro now. He has no real memories of what his father was like and really wanted to get to know him, but didn't have the guts to find out because he's a wuss. And he actually said this. This isn't from me. Because he's a wuss. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, exact words. Mm. So then Goro tells Rio that he knows about Iwao's passing from Mai and that he respects Rio for not throwing in the towel and giving up after his father's death. So this got Goro thinking that he really wants to do what he can for Rio so then he can eventually grow the balls he needs, exact words from the anime, to go out and find his own dad. And then Goro encourages Ryo to continue his journey and offers to pay respects to Iwao's grave, which is quite nice and quite a... I thought it was a bit out of sort of character for Goro and it's definitely not something we saw in the game. So I think they're trying to create a storyline with that. Yeah, it does sort of build his friendship with up with Rio Dunty and obviously, you know, the typical Yo Bro and some of the ways he, he speaks to Rio, especially later in the game. Um, he has pretty much built a, a quite a strong friendship over the, you know, he's only had a job for five days. So it's been like five in game days and, you know, they're quite matey towards the end of it. And then Rio obviously even talks about Goro to Chenvoir. So he left a, a lasting impression on him. But overall, <laughs> I mean, I like that they've included another side of Goro because, like you say, it does add a little bit more to his character in the game. He's just 
just kind of a comedy character really he's, he helps Rio out a little bit but doesn't really have anything major in the story apart from setting things up with Mai and that the, the marriage scene that's probably the only notable scene of fleshing out Goro's character but this kind of does fl- flesh out Goro's character it gives him a bit more bit of a heart that perhaps mm. he hasn't got in the game um, it kind of shows potentially why he's turned into the guy that he turned into like the mugger because he's not had parental support possibly he's he's um gone down a certain path that's led him to steal money from people perhaps and you know seeing rio's changed his whole mindset really going forward and because of rio's situation it then leads goro into this i don't know if they're going to continue this in the next episode but in wanting to find his father i i don't think we'll get any more of that and this could just be potentially for what happens next for setting up the scene for for how Mark changed his tune, but I mean, if they do continue this lead that they've placed here, I'm all for for seeing Goro's little adventure, <laughs> unless it's going to be a side story or a, you know, Goro the animation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why not? No, it's good. It's, it gives Goro a bit of character, a bit of flavour to him, and I know by the by the end of the games, he's he he does have his heart in the right place, but actually, a bit of context to him having the heart in the right place and why. It just makes all the difference to his character, I think, and probably makes him more likable than I think the the game version is. Um, certainly in some circles that we we particularly know, a eh, Peter. Um, I'd like to see Peter or hear Peter's opinion on Goro. Yeah, after I the would. anime, I would. Um, but I think this this Goro maintains the core characteristics of the Goro that we know from the games, but also gives him an added dimension, an added layer, which I think just rounds his character off really nicely. So Mark is he's still at the top of the stairs and he's actually stood over here in the whole conversation. So he's he's one of these. <laughs> <laughs> he's um he's eavesdropping. Eavesdropping. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well ear wigging. Ear wigging. <laughs> Doesn't seem the type, does he Mark? But No. Yeah, it's really bizarre, but yeah, it is very reminiscent of the previous scene. This, so he's he's over here in the conversation again, from top of the stairs outside Alpha Trading Company, and Rio asks a favor of Goro and says, "You know, what do I have to do to meet with the Mad Angels, as they are connected to his father's death?" And because Mark's overhearing this, his ears prick up even more. So it's like, oh. So maybe that's why Mark's sort of really suspicious. Maybe he's thinking, maybe he thought Rio was part of the Mad Angels or was sort of suspicious that he had bad intentions. But now Rio's come out with this comment saying, you know, what do I have to do to meet with them? Mm. He's sort of like, oh, hang on a minute. Rio's not who I thought he was. Yeah, which makes sense. I mean, if Mark knows who Goro is as well, maybe he's only seen until this point Goro mugging people and potentially being a Mad Angel himself from Mark's opinion or mark side of things that he might think that goro is a pretty bad character or something and rio's getting involved with him and then he's like oh he's just you know another one of those whereas this is like i say it's changed mark's tune really since this moment and then we start seeing a, a bit more of a, a perkier mark rather than the um that stern mark from you know the first half of the episode so this transitions um back to sakuraoka where Rio's seen heading home, thinking about his conversations with Goro and the Mad Angels. And he's actually stopped in his tracks by Guizang again, who's surprised to see because... Oh, okay, does uh, this confused me. Does Rio know that the, the Chens have done with him? 
Is that because that last scene from episode three where they were like, some, he was being a bit of a, a knob to Huizang? Yeah, I think it's. I think where he says he's not going to help him get to Hong Kong, I think Rhea just makes the, the, the assumption that they're done with him, not going to help him. him. But yeah. it's, a fair, it's a fair one. Yeah, so Rio was surprised to see because he thought they were done with him. And then Guizang lunges and attacks Rio for some reason. Rio and Guizang have a brief dramatic fight, but are both unscathed. So there's a lot of punching, hand waving, and kicks and stuff like that. But Guizang finishes the fight with a leg move called the Swallow Dive, which he then offers to teach Rio. But Rio hesitates and asks why. Guizang confirms to Rio that if he was in his shoes, he would be doing exactly the same as we get that kind of like line thing, like. If, mm. you know, that was my father, I'd do the same kind of thing that we see in the game. I was going to say, it's interesting. They've obviously moved moved this scene from, from the harbour to, to Rio walking home, um, which is fine. It's great. And the fact they've kept it in, actually, is quite interesting because it doesn't have much story relevance, Swallow Dive, I think, because you can actually turn it down. But it's a good, it's a great move. And the move that um, Guizang uses is the levelled up version of it. Because the first sort of version of it is more like a stepping back roundhouse kick, whereas this one he sort of pulls his leg back and then sort of flips it over, mm. almost in like a I know what you mean, like, like a thunder, lance thunder kick or something. Yeah, yeah, it's almost like a lance style. Um, it's probably the best way I can describe. It. I'm probably you know absolutely mullering this. <laughs> the martial artist is going to come and kill me, but it's good to see it in here and. Again, it's. I think Guizang and Rio have a sort of, I don't know, an unwritten respect, if if you like. So it fits fits nicely with their story and and the story arc going forward. So we then cut to a very quick scene at um, MJQ Bar MJQ, and Terry and his henchman are sat in the corner discussing the new kid has started working on their turf, and it's the same guy that uh, beat Charlie up. Terry sort of stands up, looking quite ominous, and goes, "Right, that settles it." obviously making the link and going, right, we need to try and find out more about this guy. Rio. Yeah, Rio, <laughs> rather, yeah. Um, it cuts Sakuroja again, and it's nighttime now, and Rio's walking down the street deep in thought, and Nozomi calls him from afar, uh, waiting under a streetlight. So I do wonder how long she's been there. But <laughs> Since this morning. Since, <laughs> since the morning. Since that scene. Um, yeah. It cuts to the park, and... Rio apologizes for keeping Nozomi waiting all this time while he was at work. Again, this is what I'm saying. Rio in the games would be like, what do you want? Whereas here, he's a bit more, I don't know, he's a bit more polite and nice to her. She asks him about the part-time job and why he's got it. Uh, after some time passes, it all cuts to the pair being sat on the bench. Uh, with Nozomi saying she had no idea about Rio searching for the truth behind his father's death. So interestingly here... Rio's opening up, whereas in the games and with her going to Canada, she's quite open about how she feels and everything. And Rio's very stoic; he doesn't, you know, he doesn't really radiate very much. And he's like, "There's things I must do, etc." Here, he's been quite open with her and honest, mm-hmm. and he also apologizes for worrying her. And the only sort of not condones his actions, but. Lee sort of gives him the green light of, of saying, well, if you believe, you know, believe what you need to do, go and do it sort of thing. Doesn't try and stop him. And then Rio asks Nozomi what advice she wanted. And she sort of brushes it off and pretends that everything is OK, which then sort of comes into the next scene, which I'll pick up because it's only a very short one. But it's a very nice scene again. It cuts to Nozomi having dinner with her grandmother. 
who is asking what she's going to do about her father's proposal, which we know is to go back to Canada. Nozomi directly asks her grandmother what she thinks is best, and she said that she'd be sad to see Nozomi go, but with her best interest at heart, she thinks she'd go back with her parents. So that might well be the nail in that coffin that makes her go and why she went. And then with Rio obviously disappearing off as well, I think that's probably how that all sort of ties together at the end. It then cuts to... Nozomi in her bedroom looking at photographs of her friends and there's one of Eri wagging her finger at Rio, <laughs> which is pretty much Eri down to a T. She, yeah. she does have a pop at him for treating Nozomi badly in the games, but she spe- sort of spends special attention to the, the one with Rio in it. And it's just a nice filler sort of content to, to that story around Rio Nozomi and her leaving for Canada. It fits really well, again, with the games and giving that context and it just builds her character in the anime a bit more. And gives her, I don't know, I, I think I prefer her character in the anime, actually, to, to the games. And that's not a slur on the games. I think they just give you more to work with here. Yeah, she's very sweet in the game. But in the anime, she's got a bit of fire about her as well. Yeah, and I like She's still that. a nice person, but she's, you know, she's uh, going out of her way to seek Rio and express her opinions a bit better. And I, I, I think the touching on the airy thing, I think... They know that they can't include every single character from the game, so they're trying ways of including things that make you know that these people exist. So we've seen the picture of Naoki and um, Ichiro or whatever his other the other friend is when there's Omi and Ryo on that photo, and we've got another photo here of Eri. So it's like Eri exists, and for fans of the games that know these characters, it's it's just another easter egg i suppose that they've included that they don't need to show Ari in the game because she doesn't serve a purpose as such story-wise but they haven't forgotten her if that makes sense yeah and it's just they're not shoehorning characters in for the sake of shoehorning them in they're putting them in quite subtly which is again it's just a good way to do it so it's the next day and we're back in the harbor and rio's back on his little forklift and he's been placing some crates onto a shelf, but he's noticed the lucky wonky. And over his shoulder, Mark's been watching him. And he steps in to assist and correct his mistake. So it looks like he's starting to warm to Rio now. He's sort of, because he's been overhearing these conversations, he's changed his tune a little bit. Mark's the creeper now, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, Mark the creeper. <laughs> it's nice, actually, because that, sorry, I was just going to say about the... Um, oh, it's okay. It, you, you mentioned it about your um, OCD map for, for the crates. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the same to be honest. If they're not straight, I'm, I'm not leaving <laughs> the warehouse. Got to straighten them out. So it, it bizarrely cuts over to Ida Floris after that short little scene in the harbour, and Goro and Maya visiting this time, and Nozomi's working and she's sorting some flowers out. And my question's why Goro is even getting flowers in the first place because it's totally out of his character. And he says, "Well, they're for Iwal's grave." And Nozomi sort of faffing about and she overhears him talking about Rio. And Goro's saying, oh, you know, he's such a big deal. He's this big shot. And he's going to be facing baddies in, in his quest to find out about his father. And he sort of alludes that the baddies are the mad angels. And then Nozomi's ears prick up and she's like, oh, hang on a minute. So she asks Goro who they are. And then Goro says, well, I don't, who's Nozomi? Who's this? Who <laughs> 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 did And then... And then Mai points out that she's Ryo's classmate. And then Nozomi questions again what Goro means by Ryo taking them on. So Nozomi clearly got some information out of Ryo in Sakuragawa Park, but not enough, you know, 
to say that he's going to be beating up a load of people and getting involved in fights. So he's obviously not, you know, trouble trying to trouble her too much because he knows she's already worrying about him. Mm-hmm. So a funny little uh, scene here is that Garo starts to cover his mouth and shake. He's like, oh, no, he's put his foot in it. He says, oh, you didn't hear that from me. And then he's, you know, he's visibly regretting opening his big mouth and giving away too much information. And Goro being Goro, he makes matters even worse by saying that the worst thugs in Yokosuka and he's and that Rio <laughs> is going to be totally <laughs> creamed by them. Which is yeah, direct translation from the anime there. So at this point, Nozomi's looking really worried, but she's distracted away by her grandmother, who then asks her to deliver some flowers to Saijo San's bar. So we cut back to the harbour and we're actually inside the Alpha Trading Company offices and Mark's just putting some things away in his locker. And Rio approaches him and asks why he's starting to teach him how to use forklift properly because now Rio's noticed that Mark was a bit sort of standoffish at first with him and now he's sort of, yeah. oh, why is he suddenly helping me? It's a bit you know, suspect. Warming, yeah. warming to him. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. So Mark closes his locker and dismisses Rio and tells him to go home as he's got an early start again tomorrow. So he's not quite opened up to Rio yet. He's just still testing the waters, I think. Did you think, did anyone think at this time, saying early start, we were going to get like a forklift race the next day? Oh, oh I never thought of that. Oh. No, I, at the time I was thinking that, but then obviously we didn't. Oh, it's a shame. <laughs> as, uh, yeah, but this cuts back to the harbour at dusk now and Mark's on the ground. He's getting absolutely smashed in his face and his chest by thugs whilst getting questioned by them about Rio and that he should bring them to him. So Mark refuses, claims that he doesn't know him, but they don't actually believe him. He might have seen him with him, I suppose. Uh, which at that point, funnily enough, Rio comes running around the corner to his rescue and takes the thugs out one by one like really, really easily. And there's some nice animation here in the fight scene. It's the one actually from, is it the end of the tr- first trailer we ever saw, that one? It like is, the, yes. um, after yeah, the tsunami logo and that sort of stuff, yeah. Yeah, it is that one. So they run away after being defeated, and Rio checks in on Mark. And Mark thanks Rio for his help and confirms to Rio that they are members of the Mad Angels. So Rio asks why Mark defended him, kind of thing, even though he wasn't there. And, and Mark tells Rio that he reminds him of himself, which at first he thought Rio was just you know another kid looking for a fast book to mess around with. But there's more to him than meets the eye, I suppose, and he's not just there for money. So Mark then confirms to Rio that he's here to find his brother, who had joined the Mad Angels. So this is kind of, it doesn't actually say they killed his brother, but they're setting that kind of scene up that we we do get in the games where Mark's saying, you know, the, his involvement with the Mad Angels as, as far as his brother were involved in him and sank him to the bottom of the ocean with concrete boots or whatever. But that doesn't happen in the anime at the moment. So whether we're going to get that in the next episode, I'm not sure about. It then skips to Bar Yukoska, and Nozomi's delivering flowers to Saijo-san. And in the corner booth, two men are discussing the Mad Angels and are taking part in what looks like a drug deal. So that's where they exchange that envelope thing and mm. does look a bit dodgy. They then leave the bar, and I think they thank Saijo-san, but he's not actually looking at the time. He's like kind of ducking under the... He's trying to get something out from under the, the bar so he doesn't notice the exchange of drugs. Nozomi asks Saijo-san who the Mad Angels are, but he refuses to give her any information. But it does seem like how he says that line, like he knows something. So Nozomi presses him and says that she's trying to get information to help Rio. 
he tells her that they're not the kind of guys that a girl like Nozomi should be getting involved with. And then this shows a scene where Nozomi's actually hiding behind a hedge outside what she believes is the Mad Angel's hideout. And then an unsavory character approaches her from behind and asks her what she needs from the Mad Angels. So we're getting that kind of context that we perhaps don't get from the games as to why Nozomi's kidnapped, well, yeah. which is nice to see actually in the anime. It is. And I mean, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that game version of Nozomi does want to help Rio and does something like this. But we obviously don't know how or what has been going on, but to see her sort of sneaking around and then getting busted and wanting to actively help Rio is, um, okay, it's just, I think it's part of her sort of, fieriness and also her caring side for Rio and it's it's just again I think it's just it's a nice touch to the character and it just gives you a bit more characterization that you you don't get from the Nozomi version in the game and the Nozomi version in the game is fine but as I said I think this character's just got a bit more about her and I think it's very very deliberate and I don't know if that's how more anime sort of run like with with love interests that sometimes they yeah more often than not they're quite fiery and quite kind um but it it certainly works for Nozomi here so after Nozomi gets captured by the mad angels it cuts to the Hazuki residence uh Ryo's just arrived home and is greeted by Ine-san who asks uh, if Ryo's been with Nozomi but he says he hasn't seen her he asks what's going on and Ine-san says Adasan phone to say Nozomi had not returned from a delivery she was making earlier, which does sort of fit in with the fact that they get the phone call at the dojo and she she hasn't come home and Rio asks what's going on because he's obviously nipped out for some air and then comes back. Yeah. Rio sort of promptly leaves the residence and is greeted by the headlight or the headlamp of a motorcycle. In the games, Chai phones up, says, get to the warehouse 17. This is slightly different here, but it's the same end result. The rider is a, ma- a member of the Mad Angels and asks if he's Ryo Hazuki and that he needs to show up to warehouse number 17 or they will give the girl something to cry about. Slight twist on what Chai says, where he goes, I will make her cry um, when he's talking to Ryo on the phone um, if he doesn't sh- turn up. Um, he asks if the bastards have kidnapped uh, Nozomi and the rider starts to leave telling Ryo not to keep Terry waiting. And this seems really cool, this little bit. As he turns to go, Rio runs up and like does a full-on fly kick to him and like, takes him off the bike and takes it for a spin and, and rides off into the <laughs> rides off on his way to the harbor. Yeah, awesome scene. You've lost the the Noyuki scene where he goes and borrows the motorbike and you got you know speeding down the road to get to the harbor. But I actually think this is quite a nice replacement, quite a good replacement. It just it condenses that down, but it makes it makes sense. Yeah, it reminded me of. Like something you can do in Streets of Rage, are you just like yeah. you, you dive in, kick thing to knock someone off a bike and then nick the bike or whatever, and <laughs> or, or the bike just destroys, I suppose, in Streets of Rage. But it's a cool take. I will ask guys, what do you think of them replacing the chai scene with this? So we don't actually see, I know we haven't got to the end of the episode yet, but we don't actually see chai in this episode. So we were talking about this and discussing this in our watch along, Matt, but what do you see that? they're planning to do with Chai at this stage because we know prior to this they actually went out the way to add more scenes of Chai spying on Ryo seeing what he's doing keeping tabs on him whereas they've changed this up that Chai's not even involved in this Mad Angels deal or Mad Angels kidnapping of Nozomi at all yeah 
I mean, I don't want to spoil too much of, of what we've got left to talk about in terms of the, the main discussion, but I think they're sort of setting Chai up for a moment to strike. And he's gathering all this information. He's getting himself together. Um, he's obviously had the failed attempt with the Phoenix Mirror, but I, I don't think he's gone, put it that way. I think he'll be biding his time in the background, waiting there, and it's very deliberate that they haven't shown him here because they think, oh, his plan's been foiled. So it's almost sort of fools the viewer into a false sense of security. But we full well know that uh, he will be back. Yeah. It's just where. Just where. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I think they might be saving Chai because um, us diehard fans of Shenmue know that there's like a secret chapter that's in between Shenmue 1 and Shenmue 2. So maybe they're saving Chai for that aspect of the story. So there's like a chapter that you can read as a manga and it's about Chai uh, being on the boat with Ryo on his way to Hong Kong. So it's not something that's included in Shenmue 1 and 2. It's sort of a little sort of side story that's in between the games. So maybe they're saving Chai for that and they're going to put it in the anime. Uh, Well, that's me hoping. Anyway, I'd like to see that. That is the dream. And obviously you've got, in Hong Kong, you've got the lady and the little girl that says thanks for saving us on the boat. So, I mean, if they know about the boat thing, why not, eh? Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I don't see why not. And, I mean, it's skipping forward ahead into to the next episode. I'm guessing what they're going to do. But, yeah, assuming the things happen in the next episode that happen in the game and you eventually end up on the boat, I don't think there's a reason why they couldn't move the Chai fight to the boat to include it, include that boat chapter for us old-school fans because it doesn't make sense to fight Chai twice at the harbour just as you're about to leave and then on the boat. It makes no sense. So why not appease everybody and just move it to the boat? And, and away you go. I think it would be the best way to do it. We can mention this towards the end of the episode anyway, so let's just nail the last little couple of bits. I'll take the next one, and then you do the last two, yeah, Titch? Sure, no problem. So this switches to the harbour at night. We've got Rio, who's walking into Warehouse 17, which is obviously the, the warehouse from the game where the Mad Angels are residing. And he's directed to the back. He's greeted by Nozomi tied up in rope, and Terry is sat amongst the Mad Angels. This is uh, the Mad Angel's hideout in the game, so hence why they're there. So Terry starts threatening Ryo and asks if he has a bone to pick with him, specifically if the Chen sent him. He's still suspicious about the Chen aspect, but Ryo confirms he's got nothing to do with the Chens and is only after Landine. So Terry says that Ryo is going for the head of the Cobra, and Ryo dismisses Terry and demands that he lets Nozomi go instead. So Terry refuses to do so unless Ryo can prove to himself that he is no threat to Terry, and the Mad Angels, and directly ask Ryo to send Guizang to the bottom of the sea if he wants to get Nozomi back. So getting that scene sort of, but they do it in a way that's a little bit more threatening. It feels a bit more threatening. Obviously in the game, he just says, just beat up Chen, or beat up Guizang until you know he can't walk. But in the anime episode here that we saw, they were actually saying like, kill him, basically, weren't they? Mm-hmm. If you kill Guizang then I'll give you what you need kind of thing. Yeah, it, I, get, I just think it fits the narrative, doesn't it? That the, the, the whole... I mean, the stakes seem a lot higher here for Rio. The, the underworld that he's involved in, the Mad Angels, Master Chen, the Chi Men. I, 
know, they carry much more of a threat, certainly, or an intimated threat than than I think the games give over. It's not that they're not threatening in the games. I just think they're more threatening here. So we cut to outside the warehouse and a few members of the Mad Angels are leading Rio outside. And one of them's actually got a knife pointing into Rio's back. So, yeah, Rio's clearly under threat at this point. And Rio actually starts contemplating about the best course of action, which is quite out of character for Rio because he's someone that just sort of acts quite rashly and you know he doesn't think about what he's doing but he's actually at this point he's starting to slow down and think actually you know what what's the best thing i can do here especially you know with regards to both guizong and nozomi because they're both in danger at this point and then it flashes back to cut scenes of nozomi and goro offering words of encouragement so the words of encouragement there are nozomi encouraging rio to take the best course of action or do whatever he thinks is right and <laughs> Goro was encouraging Ryo to keep pursuing about his father in one of the earlier meetings they had at the start of the episode. Yeah, this is interesting, actually, because instead of this kind of happening the next night, they're jumping straight to it, aren't they? Because typically you'd have the motorbike scene where Ryo takes Nozomi home and then, unless I've got it wrong, Matt, but the next night is like when you, you wait until you finish work and then beat Chen's son up, Guizang. <laughs> You're pretty. You're spot on. I mean, you, yeah. you um, you do your you do your fifth day of work. Rescue Nozomi from meet. You meet Terry, and he says, "Beat up Guizang." You take her home. You go back to the harbor the next day. Get fired, and then you're locked into the final scenes. So they've obviously. Well, I'm just guessing here. Is I think I'd say it's fairly certain that they've put together that scene of meeting Terry, rescue Nozomi, and what will be the seventy man battle in the aftermath of that. They've just lumped it together. To yeah. cut some of the, some of the, the game Same fluff. night kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, which is fine. Again, it's just makes sense to do it and and speed things along a bit because it doesn't make a massive difference to the overall story. So it's it's I think it's just a necessary change. Yeah, works works. Yeah. So then Rio pauses, which confuses the Mad Angels. You know why why have you stopped walking? You know we've got a knife to the back of you, and then Rio says that he needs to take a leak first. So he sort of rushes forward and he moves towards a corner of the harbour, which is specifically to the area where he was talking to Goro about the chalk writing on the floor and there was the nice sort of view out across the water. So he sees on the floor that it says the number 17 in chalk. Does he do this with his own foot? He does, yeah. So it's harking back to what Goro says about that writing being like a meetup area, but he was telling Rio about it in a positive light, like it's a social thing, but it's got this sort of dark undertone to it as to, you know, that's where the mad angels are in warehouse 17. So I don't know, it made me a bit suspicious about Goro and I might be reading into it a bit too much. You know, is he sort of part of the mad angels and we just don't know it? I don't know. It was a bit Thinking back... So the first time you see the number, it's number 10, I think it was. Yeah. And Rio's saying, uh, Goro says that you have a party that way. So I think Rio does this with his foot. He changes, if it still says 10, he's rubbed out the zero and he's written a seven because he, he knows that Nozomi's there. So if anyone sees this, they think, oh, there's a party going at where 17 tonight. And then they're going to help because they're going to see that Terry's got Nozomi hooked up kind of thing. Oh. So we'll probably see this in the next episode, but that's yeah, the way I yeah, read yeah. it. Yeah, that so makes a lot more sense. I never that's noticed the way I, that. 
because that's the way I took it that that there's going to be help arriving in because they've sort of played up a little bit the Rio while he's a good fighter they they've sort of played up the fact that he's probably not or he's barely on sort of Guizang's level so I just wonder if they're going to give have a sort of arc where sort of Goro does help or somebody does help. Rio is almost part of a little bit of redemption, maybe. Mm. If it is depends Goro. who sees the number. If it's Goro mm. or if it's the other thing I was thinking of. Who's the other character I was thinking of? Perhaps like the homeless guy, maybe if they want to to shoehorn him in. Yeah, or, possibly. Or or, or or Mark. That was the one I was thinking of. Actually, Mark. Even Mark or Goro probably are your, your your two main guys that might see that number and be maybe be suspicious. Maybe they know. That is where the Mad Angels hang out. So by seeing 17, it's like, well, hey, it's never been 17 before. You know, something's, something's the matter. I don't know. That's very smart. Like... <laughs> yeah, I never noticed I think it was that. Rio, though, because he had his foot over the number. And then when he moved his foot, it said 17, which is obviously where Nozomi is. So I just felt like he'd somehow done that with the chalk, if that makes sense. Yeah. And it, it seems very deliberate for them to show that, doesn't it? Mm. Very, very deliberate. So, in some twist of fate, Rio actually manages to find Guizong, and he just out of the blue states to him that they're they're about to have a fight. Guizong is greatly confused by this comment, but Rio tells him not to say anything and just sort of accept that they're having this fight. So Guizong just willingly accepts it, accepts the challenge, and they start fighting which is a very good scene, in my opinion. And I like the music. It starts getting like really dramatic and full-on like anime fight scene. And it cuts to Terry in Warehouse 17 getting called outside to watch it by one of his henchmen. So Terry goes out with his men, and they're right in the background watching Rio and Guizong having this fight. And it's getting quite intense, and it comes to a dramatic conclusion where they both collapse to the floor after they've both performed the swallow dive kick on one another. So they've sort mm. of cancelled each other out and just <laughs> landed on the floor. Very reminiscent of the game, actually. Yeah, that's it. So we end out the episode with Terry laughing <laughs> in like this evil villain manner, exclaiming that Yokosuka is his for the taking. And he's doing this as Rio and Guizong are still lying on the floor, wriggling around. And we are left on that note with a... Very dramatic cliffhanger. It's kind of the, probably the first cliffhanger, actually, isn't it, when you think about it? Because the previous episodes, the ending's kind of like, obviously, there's more to come, but it's not like, oh, shit, what's going to happen next kind of thing? It's like they've left it ongoing, haven't they? Whereas this is like something bad's happened, but we haven't had the res- the resolution to that. No, in all honesty, I thought the episode was just going to carry on going. It felt yeah, so abrupt it, that it, it ended honestly, there. I was like, oh. It surprised me as well. I, I I was like, oh my God, is that 23 minutes already just how it ended? Yeah. I was expecting like the next scene. It was crazy. Yeah, it went by so fast. Got anything more to add, Matt, just before we... No, I, th- I think you're just you're setting up for the 70-man battle now, aren't you? And and the sort of the home straight for, for the Shenmue 1 content. I think they're going to throw in a lot of action in the first probably five, seven minutes of this. You leave for Hong Kong. I think he gets on the boat halfway through. I think then this is where you end up with the the shy fight on the boat. And I and I said this on stream actually. My 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 hope is that what they do is they do all of that, and then the end of the episode is you approaching Hong Kong and you see Hong Kong in the distance on the boat, 
and then you open episode six with Rio getting off the boat in Hong Kong, and then you're well into uh, Shenmue Two territory, where we have seen absolutely nothing of of Shenmue Two. We've seen some character art of Ren and Joy and Dolneo kicking around. That's it. We've seen nothing else, and that's really cool. We go, we're all that first episode in Hong Kong. We're going in blind. Everybody yeah. is going in blind on that, which is really cool. Really, really exciting stuff, guys. So let's have a quick music break now. Um, we're going to play the theme of Goro, actually. Quite fitting for this particular episode. He shows up quite a lot. And that is called Yukosuka Blues. Okay, welcome back, guys. That was the Yokosuka Blues. Obviously, the theme of Goro there, Shimbo-1's OST. And we're going to jump straight into the episode 5 preview, which we didn't get too much of. It's a nice, short 30-second clip. But what happened in this preview, map? So this preview was 70-man battle syndrome all the way through. Um, you've got the Mad Angel thugs going at um, Rio and Guizung, and they just fight a few of them off. And at the end of this clip, they both do the swallow dive and it takes out about six of them in one hit. So it looks to me, and I'm guessing, but it looks like to me they're going to open this the, the episode up with the 70-man battle. And if the animation, fighting animation, is anything to go by from episode four and they spend a lot of money on this, it's going to be a really kick-ass fight scene for, for an anime. It's going to look really good, I reckon. It's going to be a treat. Yeah, I didn't even definitely. notice the, shot, the swallow dive thing, but yeah, so it's you think it's going to literally pick up from where episode four left off? 
I think so. I think Terry's going to try and bump off Rio and um, Guizang pretty quickly. They get up and then you're into the 70-man battle. And you'll see, like, there's a scene in one of the trailers where you see all of Terry's um, men marching towards them and you have them all behind him. I think it's going to set that up pretty much early on and then you're into the fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, can you think of anything that they might include in this episode, Titch? Oh, I was just racking my brains. Um, just having a think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the only things I could think of are beyond that. I mean, Rio's still got a job at this point, so whether he's gonna, they're going to show the scene where he's getting fired, maybe? Yeah. We did have, in one of the trailers, something smashing through a wall, the forklift smashing through a wall, so I don't know what's going on there, whether we're going to see that forklift smash thing for some reason i can't i can't even think where that's going to show up now i think that's part of the 70-man battle that could but be one daytime i thought it was daytime i I'm not, i don't know i'm not sure i have to watch it again but i could see it happening where i don't know warehouse 17 is like locked up or something or they they go in maybe there. goro does that to get into the warehouse to yeah rescue he launches a fort, fort lift through or rio decides mm. he thinks it's gta and just drives it through Possibly. Um, it could work. Other than that, I mean, I'd hope that we see Tom again. We've still got the tornado kick to learn if they're going to show that in the anime. Apart from that first episode, we haven't seen Tom since, so it would be nice to get another scene with Tom. And if Rio is going to do the 70-man battle in episode five, perhaps they may even go all the way to the end of Shemu 1 in terms of story content. So there is a possibility there that he could be going around saying goodbyes to... He's got to say goodbye to Fukusan and Inisan at his house. Mm-hmm. So perhaps that then leads him to say goodbye to Tom. Yeah. Get the yeah, tornado do. kick, possibly say goodbye to who else would he need to say goodbye to? I mean, they haven't really resolved the Mark storyline or the Goro storyline. If they're going to do that, maybe we'll see Goro and Mai get that scene where they're getting married. And they also need to resolve the Nozomi going to Canada thing. Obviously, she mentioned to her grandma that she doesn't know what to do yet about the Canada thing. So whether or not she's going to then portray that onto Rio and, I don't know, say that she's made her mind up, she's heading to Canada, but that particularly doesn't matter because Rio's going to Hong Kong anyway. And perhaps the fact that she's got she's got kidnapped and she knows what Rio's doing, that's going to make her mind up for her. But besides that, I can't think of anything else other than, you know, we know from the game where Guizan gets his leg broken and he says to Rio that he's, he'll catch up with him later. I don't know whether they're going to change that scene. We spoke about that on the stream, Matt, whether or not yeah. they perhaps could tailor make that scene so that it goes either one or two ways where he jumps on the boat with him there and then, or they incorporate the scene with Chai, maybe where there's a Chai fight, and then that kind of excludes the fight on the boat because then, like you say, the, why would they do two Chai fights within minutes of each other they're not going to do that probably so if they do have the chai fight at the end of the episode or the end of the shemu one segment where guizan gets his leg broken which means he can't go to china or he just straight up says you know good luck and there's no mention of him ever even contemplating heading to china uh, or hong kong with him i don't know they could take it one of three ways then i guess yeah, I mean, I suppose the way I think I think they'll take it is they'll um, they'll probably take it that uh, Guizang hurts his leg at the seventy man battle and can't go, so you you lose that from obviously the ending point of Shenmue One in the game where he obviously breaks his leg, like leg pressing a steel girder. I think it's probably the way to do it. 
I mean, we'll, we'll obviously we'll see next week, but that's probably the way I would play it. And then Rio gets on the boat, has the chai fight on the boat, done. And then you sort of that rounds off the Shenmue one content, if you like. Yeah, weirdly, I was going to say exactly the same thing that Matt said about Guizong probably hurting his leg in the 70 man battle because it's a bit more dramatic then. It gives like, you know, I guess it sets up Rio to have like a heroic conclusion to the fight so like oh i can't go on rio you you know you take them on and you know it makes rio look even stronger it's another way it could go i suppose yeah possibly i mean we'll obviously we'll find out next week guys so if you want to stick around we'll get to it eventually but Mm -hmm. there's a few different options there how do you see the next episode going if you listen to this and uh you know is a day or two before the next episode airs. We'd like to know your thoughts and feelings on where the show is going to go in the next episode, whether they're going to round off Shemu 1 or perhaps even head to Hong Kong in the same episode. There's a chance, I suppose, the way the, the speed of the story's moving so far. I suppose these, it's not unreasonable to say like the first half of the episode could be the roundup, the Sentiment battle, goodbyes and heading on a boat. And then we could even be seeing Hong Kong as close as next episode. So we'll see how that goes, guys. Okay, guys. So we're going to move briskly into Poetry Corner now. Well, Jim's Poetry Corner, if you're ready for this. So the title of the next poem is The Fresh Princess of Bailu. Oh. Any, um, <laughs> have you got any um, idea who I might be referring to there? <laughs> Do you know what? I'm not going to dive in and say the obvious one this time. Okay, okay. Um, that that screwed me up last time. I'm gonna wait. Fair enough, fair enough. Okay, guys. Now this is a story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down, and I'd like to take a minute, just sit right there. I tell you how I became the child of a stonemason heir. We land in southern China, born and raised in Bailu villages where I spend most of my days. Chilling under Shenmue trees, the cherry blossoms fall, resigning some poem outside Marshall Hall, when a couple of guys who were up to no good started making trouble in my neighborhood. My parents got into a fight and my mom got scared. She said, you're moving to a house with that stonemason there. I whistled to a deer and when it came near, the sky just went all black and we started to fear. If anything, I would say that this storm was rare, but I thought, nah, forget it, Languishan's over there. We pulled up to a lake about seven or eight, and the deer yelled to me, Yo, Ling, smile you later. I looked across the river, Rio standing there, and off we went to save my stonemason heir. <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that is absolute classic. Wow. <laughs> I tried so hard not is... to crack. Yeah, you did work brilliantly with that. Yeah. That was good. <laughs> Thanks, man. You know it's called... Uh, well, she's called Ling Shamboya. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh... Okay. Yo, Ling. The D out to me, Yo, Ling smiled it. Brilliant. Brilliant. So, who's that, guys? Uh, that, that, that's Shenhua. <laughs> yeah, it can't be anyone else. <laughs> cool, cool. <laughs> Spot on. And that concludes today's episode recap not the not the episode, but just the well, not this particular Shemu Dojo show episode, but the episode recap as a whole for the anime. So with that, we're going to say goodbye to Titch. So again, thanks for coming, Titch. Oh, thank you very much for having us again. Hope you've enjoyed it. <laughs> I did very much. 
especially the. Uh, <laughs> that's okay. I, I very much enjoyed the uh, poem, which is now a rap <laughs> at the end. Jim's rap corner. <laughs> yes, I don't know if I can continue that each week, but it's probably the only rap song I know. Actually, <laughs> the Fresh Prince oh. theme. Well, good work. Thank you very much. Cool. Okay. So yeah, see you later, Titch. Oh, thank you both. See you soon. Bye. All right, Matt, let's smoothly move into the news section now. So the first thing I wanted to make a note of are the other different podcasts that are available out there in the Shemu ether, as it were. There's quite a few. Matt, if you can name some of those podcasts that say if other people out there want a bit more Shemu content in audio format, etc., where can they go to find more shows about Shemu? Right, I apologise now if I miss anybody off the list. I'm doing this uh, from memory again. So I'll start at the top and sort of move my way through as we go. So probably the first one that sort of jumps out is um, the Shenmue AM2 podcast by with Andrew and Matt. They've been going quite a long time, pumping out uh, sort of weekly reviews of the episodes that have been going on. Uh, they normally get those out around... So probably early hours, Mon- well, early hours Sunday, Monday morning for the UK crowd. Um, so, so check them out if you haven't done it already. Uh, Mega Visions mm-hmm. have been putting out a weekly w- weekly um, episode review. Again, go check them over there. Marcin over there is a, a good lad. Um, Love Shenmue's and has sort of been around the dojo on and off over, over the years as well. Um, so go check them out. Yep. There's also probably a bit more mainstream than, than sort of those two is uh, the Sega Bits guys. They've been putting out sort of a weekly review of the anime episodes and also did a quick Shenmue 3 retrospective where they did name drop the dojo, which I was quite, ple- <laughs> quite pleased about. I'm trying to think if, uh, if there's anybody else I may have missed. James, you might have to fill in a gap for me. Uh, off memory, I'm not sure. I mean, I don't know if there's anyone out there. You could also contact us if you've got your own show or, you know, you're doing something specifically anime-based. Perhaps you're a new person to the series, never played the games, you're just coming from the anime side of things. We want to hear from that type of person. So if that's you, let us know what your content is that you're, you, you're doing. Have you got like an anime podcast or something? You just happen to be covering the Shemu podcast, uh, the Shemu anime, because obviously in our circles, we might not be able to detect that kind of a show. I don't, I don't know. But I will say those three shows that we have got alongside our, our own, great, just uh, amazing extra areas of getting your, your additional Shemu content if you're interested in Shemu, especially at the moment. I mean, obviously, Megavisions and Sega Bits specifically aren't going to cover Shemu every time they do a podcast episode. But for the meantime, for the next eight eight or nine weeks or however many weeks of the anime is left, you can expect content from you know both the Megavisions guys and um, Barry and I think George possibly from Sega Bits. Um, I know Barry just did a an interview with Lizzle Wilkinson. He did, yeah. So check that out. Actually, it's quite. Which is a yeah, that's a good show. Um, I'm just thinking actually of anime ones. I know Tsunami Faithful over on Twitter. They they do a podcast of of um anime, and I know they've been covering the Shenmue stuff as well. So there are there are things in the anime circles. So again, as James was saying, if you've heard of any other podcasts, especially ones in the anime circles, be very interested to hear what they're saying about Shenmue, the anime, because we're loving it, and the reviews are saying it's pretty good, but I'd be very interested to see what the anime circles are talking about when it comes to it. Yeah, definitely, because obviously we're very biased Shenmue fans, so hearing someone that's just watching the anime without any context going in, that would be very interesting 
to hear. So if you know of any shows, let us know, guys. The next news point, and probably the last news point this week, it's already quite a long show than usual, so we don't want to go on too much longer. But I do want to mention this. We mentioned at the start of the show, the Shemi World Issue 2 magazine Kickstarter. It's ongoing currently right now. Still 29 days remaining on this Kickstarter, and we're already... Just looking at the total now, I don't know. This could obviously will be different by the time you hear the show on Thursday or Friday or whenever you're listening to this. But currently, at half 11 on the same day it was launched, we're at £11,975. So we're at, we're actually £25 away from twelve grand of the fifteen grand goal. So I don't want to tempt fate, but it seems like we're going to reach this goal and we're going to be able to make this magazine, which is insane again. I mean, I was hesitant last year or just over a year ago when we launched issue one, whether or not we'd be able to make that an actual reality, which we did. That fans of Shemi World issue one will know all the great stuff that was included with that. We managed to make not only the magazine, this 169 page book-esque magazine. We also made a audio CD of Shemwave Volume 1 Collection from Rio X. We had a pack of five postcards of Guilin. Some nice screenshots from the game there made in a postcard format. We had an A3 poster. We had a sticker sheet and a bunch of other extras like stickers and leaflets and a signed print from Eric Calso. And then this time around with Shemwave World Issue 2, in case you're interested, we're going a little bit further. We're, we're testing, actually. I, I mean, I know we're close to the, the goal here, but we were testing it a little bit in terms of what we could get out of issue two. So, again, you get a 164-page book-esque magazine, fan-created, fan-curated. 100% unofficial. I'll have to say that, by the way, that it's unofficial. It's not an actual Shemu product. It's um, coming from Shemu Dojo as a, a fan magazine there. I'll just read for the contents that you can expect inside the magazine first. So obviously we've got a foreword from yourself, Matt. Yes, we do. I was I was asked very kindly to write the forward in there. Um, I don't not much to say about it. But, uh, <laughs> other, uh, You'll read it when you get it, basically. Yeah, read it when you get it. It's um, I think it's very reminiscent of where we are now as a Shenmue community. Yeah. And then we pick up where things left off with part one of the history of the Shenmue Dojo with part two here. Again, that was produced by Peter Campbell which is available to read actually over on the Shemu Dojo website if you click the history tab at the top there. But it's just amazing to be able to get this published for all eternity inside the magazine. Some really cool screenshots to go along with it as well. Then we've got an actual Shemu Dojo show season one guide. So we're in season two of the show now that you're listening to right now. But uh, I produced a, a little bit of a guide there for season one, all the episodes. It'd be nice to um, continue that next issue as well. We've also got an interview with Corey Marshall and Osamu Murata, who obviously Corey Marshall voiced Ryo Hazuki in the Shemu English dub games. And Osamu Murata probably comp- composed the majority of the Shemu OST and all the music in the, the three games, basically, that you can, um, you can find over in Spotify or wherever you're listening to. And obviously from the games itself, he, he composed the majority of the music, I would say, Especially if you read the interview, you, you'll 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 know that straight away. He's composed a big chunk of the music for all three games. We've also got a feature from Gang Entertainment. That's Mike Paprocki. Obviously, the uh, the Shemu Gang Entertainment guys there. The um, produced three 
outstanding parody films adaptations of the Shemu games. So there's a nice big feature there. These are part two of the Yu Suzuki's China trip, which um, obviously was featured on phantomriverstone.com. Then we've got a couple of cracking fan articles from Seamus Kelly, who's written a Discovering Shemu in 2020. It's a great read, a brand new fan to the series, basically. He only discovered the series in 2020. So it's a very passionate write up there. And we've got another one from Dan Crow for actually similar situation here, but he discovered it in 2018. But it's great to get the opinions and thoughts of two new newcomers to the series. Then again, like issue one, we've got comics again from Keith Rosal, who continues his Shemu 1 comic adaptation, and Shenson, who's done another Shemu 3 esque comic slash manga, which is a great, great little read. And then I've comprised a Niawu side quest guide. So again, moving on from Shemu World issue 1's Bailu Village side quest guide, we've got a complete Niawu side quest guide now. Titch Life, who obviously you've just heard the voice off early in the show there. She's provided an article on her experiences with Shemu, Shemu 2, Shemu 3, etc. Really nice little article. Again, we've got fan favourite Paddy, who's uh, he's written up another pilgrimage, this time to Hong Kong. And then you can expect a wealth of fan art, another puzzle section, puzzle dojo section and loads, loads more. So that's just some of the stuff you can expect inside the magazine. Now, some of the extras that you can expect to be included with the magazine this time around, we've got a Blu-ray disc. Again, I mentioned the Gang Entertainment guys there. They've actually included this time around all three movies that they produced remastered for this Blu-ray release. There's special features. They've even got the interview that you did with them, Matt, for your series that was a bit yeah. more of a, like a video interview you did for the first time that's included yeah. on the disc Crack, cracking interview that as well they were brilliant to get on yeah 100 percent, man and loads of behind the scenes features bloopers etc and these these full audio commentary for all three films as well and if you haven't seen these films guys bloody hell it shemu folklore in in, in themselves hilarious films if you're a shemu fan and you like like pop culture like star wars and that sort of stuff these are a lot of fun things within those films. Then we've got a Corey Marshall signed print for the first 550 backers. If you pick the correct here, I notice there's a couple of people that have picked, whether they've done it on purpose or not, but I have messaged them to uh, change over to the right tier there. I, I just just properly read through the tiers, make sure that you're picking the correct one. But there is tiers available still for the Corey Marshall sign print. So like, like I said, last issue, you got the Eric Kelso sign print. This time around, there's one from Corey Marshall, which is awesome. The voice of Ryo Hazuki, of course. There will be another A3 folded poster this time from Junichi, who is the guy that's created the front cover of the magazine this time around. It's hand-drawn. It's been digitally converted by Erin. Fan favourite again from issue one. Japanese fan. Just amazing artwork. Stunning, really, especially in the poster form. You've got the, the Great Wall of China there in the top right corner. Um, and a whole host of characters on the front featuring some real-life people. <laughs> You've got Yusuzuki in the middle there, Matsukazi-san, Corey Marshall, Eric Kalso, Ezra, and the localization director, Noguchi-san. Along with that, you get five art prints of Bailu Village, which are produced by video game photographer Luna. Just amazing artwork there. She's 
captured the beauty of Bailey Village. I'm excited to to share the other four there. I've shown one of the five art prints there, a five art prints that you can expect. We've also got a second set of the premium character sticker sheet. So the, the same sort of style that you expected or that you received in Shemu World issue one. We've got Shemu two characters this time around, and these are produced by Sunenobu. Some lovely designs there. And again, mentioning Titch again, we've got a, a second sticker sheet from Titch Life that you can expect as part of your copy of Shemu World issue two. You're also going to get your name inside the magazine again. So if you've got your name in Shemu World issue one, you can keep your street going and get it in Shimmy World Issue 2 as well. And obviously, we're going to add some additional items that we had similar to the style of Shimmy World Issue 1. So, if you did pick up Issue 1, you kind of know what is going to be the situation with Issue 2. You're going to get a back card, some extra leaflets, content sheet, etc., a PDF of the whole magazine, high quality PDF. And, you know, just little odd bits and bobs such as these. So if you're on the Kickstarter page, you'll see there's a Let's Get Sweaty tier, which is our main tier. That includes the magazine and all the extras I've just read out there, signed by Corey Marshall. There's a second tier of that that is basically just on the off chance that all 450 of that Let's Get Sweaty tier get eaten up and you, you, you haven't backed the project yet and you want to still. But unfortunately, you're not going to get the the signed print because obviously Curry Marshall can only sign a certain amount. The other tiers available are two copies of Shemuelish 2, one of them being signed by Curry, and one of them having just a regular print, which is mainly just to, to save on shipping. But obviously, we, did, we didn't want to um, take away too many of the, the limited edition prints there. So you just get one of them with the two times bundle. And then if them happen to all be taken you can just back two and you, you just get two standard prints of Corey Marshall and then there's a reward that's no longer available as of recording this podcast whether anyone leaves this reward just keep an eye on it if you're after it perhaps maybe someone will drop out or you know you never know a couple of people might drop out from now until the end of the the kickstart project but that was for a, a copy of issue one and a copy of issue two so we've still got a very limited short supply of issue one from the original print run that we can um, combine with issue two, which is a good thing, really. It's it's just that our previous stock, Overspiller stock, is going back into this project to try and make the fresh new goal. So, you know, even though we um, we spent the money on the issue one items just over a year ago, we're still kind of using them to gain the funding for issue two. So that's a nice sort of uh, recycle of that extra stock there to uh, try and get this over the line which again, hopefully we'll be doing that very soon. If not, you know, in the next few days, hopefully see how we get on. But uh, like I say, there's still 29 days left. If you want to back that, we'll drop the link in the show notes. And Matt will probably be showing a little bit of footage, perhaps the video that Jibby made, which is, uh, I'll give a quick shout out to Jibby there for producing the the actual video there, the promotional video that you can see over on the Kickstart page, also on the Shemu Dojo YouTube channel. So thanks very much for, for Jibby for taking the time to create this very professional looking promotional video there, which pretty much sums up the magazine and all the extras that you can expect to get there. So head on over to Kickstarter and yeah, thanks very much for your support if you do. Anything else to add, Matt? Did I miss anything? I think you've summed that up quite well. Good stuff, good stuff. So that concludes the news for this week. Uh, we might have a bit more next week depending on what actually happens. 
But we're going to jump into the regular new edition here of the forum post. We're going to quickly read out eight tonight forum posts from you guys regarding episode three i'll start with glasses nine who says really enjoying the storytelling in this episode they expanded on the concepts of the criminal underworld to a very fascinating degree and now they connect the characters to it all is incredible there's this cohesive narrative that's just slowly starting to unravel and everything you would assumed or infer from the games is directly implemented into the mystery in the anime aside from even the story itself the characters are shining bright as well He's enjoying Ryo's expanded personality, Guizang's explored relationship with Chen, and he's hooked on every second that Landy makes an appearance. Class. So that moves me on to 24 Nathan. Uh, he's saying, this is really make, this is making me really want to go through the games again. I kind of did a playthrough of all three, but distracted in the middle of three and had to finish it months later. So I've never played a true one to three playthrough, which is That's strange. interesting from Nathan, yeah. I've done one and it's very interesting I've, they fit really well uh, this is making me really want to do that good stuff pillman says fantastic episode great to see goro russia the antique shop some of the landy backside content but the only thing he wishes was the basement scene was a little bit longer showing rio in awe of the hidden palace or the hidden place and the collecting items from china further building this mysterious connections his dad had over there the harbour scene was good, including some of the rework with Master Chen and Guizang, and somehow managing to make Chai even creepier in the anime. He's looking forward to episode four. Very good. Uh, this is a short one from TVSHTR. Uh, the harbour is particularly nostalgic to me. Hard to explain why. Perhaps it's the promise of travel out of home and into adulthood. Loved the episode. Mm. I know what he means. It's got quite a nostalgic kind of atmosphere and how they represented it actually in the episode we've just seen today, episode four. I think um, TVSHTR is uh, going to appreciate, especially that one shot of Mark and Rio overlooking the the sea there in the harbour or whatever. Uh, Next comment from Sanzark. Great episode again. I really like the part where the background of Master Chen was explained. When playing the first game as a kid, I never really considered him to be a shady character, but now I can see the underground connections. Also, it's not that surprising that some of us have considered this a weaker episode, which is strange really considering that I you know, I personally thought episode three was possibly the best of the bunch of a already high quality standard. But he says, because if you think about it, disc two is kind of a bridge between the disc one and disc three content. So he says, what happens in disc one, the story gets established, we get to know some characters, Rio does a lot of investigation to find Charlie, there's the confrontation with Charlie, the letter gets introduced, Rio translates the letter and gets to Amihama, all of this was covered in 2.5 episodes. Compared to that, what happens on disc two, Rio finds warehouse number eight, the Phoenix Mirror is tracked down, Rio wants to travel to Hong Kong. And then this part has much more gameplay and only the key cutscenes can be told through the anime, as it's done in the episode. In the game, Yamagishi-san talks about Guilin in one of the optional cutscenes, and the in- and the antique shop guy also explains the Chinese mythology behind the mirrors. But apart from that, there's very little extra to tell from this too. So based on what we saw so far, I'm sure that the Shemu 1 story won't be longer than five or five and a half episodes, which after episode four... Yeah, he's probably not far too wrong, eh? Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, d- I mean, we were talking about this on stream, weren't we, about the mythology and some of the stuff around the mirrors. I think we'd have liked a bit more of it, you know, just as, as, as fans of that, that element of, of the story. But 
I think just um, it fits the anime in terms of they. It's not crucial to the main arc at this point. You don't need to know all this stuff, and they can put it at the end potentially with Yuandazu if they go there. Yeah. So, yeah, I can see where he's coming from, but it's, it's still quite a positive review. In, and I just think if if time wasn't of the essence and we could have a season of Shenmue One, season Shenmue Two, Three, etc., I think it would work quite well. But I think they're quite keen to catch up to Shenmue 3 in terms of if we get a second season, but we'll we'll (laughs) see. Which makes Uh, sense. Moving on, we've got Spags. He said, yeah, riding quite high on this episode personally. Think they're doing a great job of tying familiar scenes from the games together in new and interesting ways, but the inclusion of new lore and surfacing elements that were only really undercurrents in the game is a real enhancement to the experience as a long-term fan. Glad that they're going in the direction I expected with Shenhua, which is her questioning the origin and meaning of the prophecy the same way Ryo is questioning his father's past. They mirror each other and are tied together through the theme of discovery as you reach adulthood, despite so far having only one scene together in the very opening of the anime. Very good, very good. Mr. Son then says that, well, he thinks it's a damn good episode overall. He thinks the key for me is expanding on the Guizang-Master Chen relationship and the more explicit framing of the Chens the illicit organisation compared to the games. The way in which the underworld is used in this episode also kind of feels symbolic to the Guizang-Master Chen relationship here if we consider the meaning of underworld also as the land of the dead. Guizang is trapped in a place he cannot leave as a subordinate instead of a son, and the father-son relationship can only be restored on the day we leave the underworld, which is the day we die, the symbolic underworld becomes real i don't know if that's mentioned in the the episode or he's just taking a bit of a liberty there i don't know but he says it's a difficult distancing strategy from chen presumably to keep guizang on the level with the dangerous nature of their organization to try to protect guizang from being emotionally compromised it works nicely later on however when rio rio's commitment to wow inadvertently exposes Guizang's suppressed feelings towards his father. Guizang deep down honours his father in the same way but isn't allowed to show it, but clearly Ryo is pushing him to break with this distancing somewhat. Again, I think it really adds some more depth to the Chen and Guizang relationship that was arguably a little bit less explored in the games. Guizang now has an overt incentive to ultimately side with Ryo, as we have a clear understanding of why he would be empathetic towards Ryo's desire to honour his father. Another example for me that the writers have really put some thought into adapting and developing these characters. Thank you, Dave. Scribe then says, amazing episode. The bar has been raised yet again. Love the scene at the antique shop where Rio is told about the Chen organisation and how it is also conducting illegal activities. Uh, where was the place that Landy uh, was in where he was threatening the guy about the mirror with a question mark? At first, mm. I thought it looked like a temple Niawu. All the little story beats seemed natural. The only criticism was they started with the prophecy again, which may be a little bit of overkill, as it's the fifth time we've heard it in three, uh, recited in three episodes, which I did agree with, and they didn't, obviously, this episode. Yeah. Need, need to rewatch now to find some Easter eggs. I only spotted Saturn on the first watch, which was choose the game with the Japanese grey-slash-blue version. Yeah, but you well, you pointed that out in your Easter egg video and I some did. more. So hopefully Scribe's watched that video now for the extra <laughs> episodes. But I will say, like you, you mentioned there, we didn't get the prophecy in episode four, but we actually didn't really get much of Shen Fu apart from that that dream sequence at the start, right? There, there was no mm. other bit of Shen Fu, which um, my only really take on that is when are they going to squeeze this festival thing in that they touted in this episode, This well, in episode three? already kind of forgotten about isn't it unless they bring it up in the next episode or 
possibly future episode, the, you know, the, the village festival, or they might unless it was do. just. It, it just seemed like it, they were were alluding to something that was going to happen, right? I don't know. Yeah, it, it, it was intimated you might see it, but whether we do or not, I, I don't think it matters massively. But not to the storyline, but it would be nice to see what they were on about. And yeah, it, it would bring a few of the Shemu three characters a little bit more together. Start fleshing out their stories before Shemu three, even which is crazy to to, to think about, but that is a, a big possibility from what we've seen so far. But so yeah, guys. Thanks very much again for leaving your comments over on the Dodo forums. We'll try and read out a few at least each episode moving forward, of course. So, guys, all that remains me to say is thanks so much for your ongoing support of the podcast, of the magazine, of the Dojo. Every little outlet that we produce content for is greatly appreciated. We're going to finish off the show with a piece of music. This is called An Unknown Past from Shemu 3's OST. But, yeah, just want to say... Thanks very much, guys, and we'll see you this time next week. See you later, everyone. Look at the time.